Hello, this is Martin. Hey, thanks for taking the call. You're welcome. <laughs> Martin Addy is on with us tonight on uh, What Do You Know? Um, I'm really glad to have this opportunity to visit with you, sir. Thank you. It's, what are we going to visit about tonight, Daniel? Well, there's this set of questions. It's same same format every time, and we like to jump right into it if you're ready. Uh, I think I am. Let's okay. go. Can you give us a testimony of your calling? Well, actually, I was thinking about that, and for me, we're going to have to change that calling to plural because, actually, I've been called two different times. Right. You're not the first one to, to do this to me. Okay. (laughs) Well, I was called to be a priest on September 10th of 1989. And at that time, I had been working in a children's home owned by the city of Springfield. And I'd been there about five years. And on the Thursday before that, I was called into the director's office. And I was informed that the not-for-profit organization that was buying the children's home from the city had learned of my high health insurance usage due to my hemophilia, which is a bleeding disorder, and they were going to back out of the deal if I was part of the package. Well, the city offered me an option that I could stay with the city if I transferred to their 911 dispatch center and took the training to work there because I had prior experience as a sheriff's dispatcher in Houston, Missouri, and the, stra- the training would start on Monday. Well, I chose that option because I figured if they fought over me, they might hire me and then fire me shortly, and I would have no job protection in that organization. But on Sunday, during church, I asked for administration from Brother Bob Oldham, who was there. And back at that time, we were meeting in different people's houses, and this happened to be at uh, Jane Ann's house. And I had asked for the administration because I was upset and stressed about all this stuff at work and really felt that I was kind of giving up the things that I wanted to do in just in order to maintain insurance and a job and some job security. But during my administration, he called me to be a priest. And then after that, we had testimonies. There were several there that witnessed to my calling. And Bob said that he was given his call as he was driving to Springfield that morning from Independence. But he thought I wouldn't be there because I was supposed to be at work. But we hadn't informed anybody of the changes because I had Sunday off because I had to have at least one day off before I started the new job because of the payroll and stuff. It took me a while to accept my calling because I had been told in 1987 by doctors that I only had three to five years to live. And in some ways that I felt unworthy to be called and I had to think on it a while and visit with different people. And I had to come to the realization that surely the Lord knew what he was doing and that he must have plans for me. And this gave me a lot of hope that the doctors were wrong, which apparently they were, because I'm talking <laughs> to you this evening, 2020. Yeah. So then we can fast forward to the Missouri reunion in 2016. And I had asked for administration and I felt during that administration that the spirit just washed me clean. And shortly after I was back in the pew, brother Glenn Gill got up and called me to be an elder. And again, there were several witnesses in the auditorium and there were a few that contacted me that were out of country, um, you know, in the weeks following that, that 
wanted to support my calling. And I felt impressed during the calling that this was true and that I was able and willing to accept the call, and I was ordained during the reunion. Mm -hmm. A couple of interesting things. One was that Glenn Gill called me, and, oh, a year or so after that, I happened to have out my uh, baptism papers and realized that Glenn assisted in the laying out of hands when I was baptized back in the early 70s. So I thought, well, that's a unique connection. And then, you know, I think that looking back over all these times, I can see that God has influenced us at times to do things that I thought were my ideas and my decisions, but truly they were his leadings. Like, we got married in 81, and we lived in Houston, Missouri then, but I always wanted to move to Springfield, and I thought it was because there were more restaurants and more things to do, <laughs> you know, and we got a job down here in 84 and started working here. But really, I, I can see now that the Lord was setting all this up so that there would be a member of the ministry here, you know, throughout the years. That's kind of what, my testimonies for that. One of the things you mentioned seems to be a common theme uh, on these podcasts is that you felt unworthy. Okay. I I hear that I hear that theme uh, constantly. Um, do you think if you I don't know that's almost like that's got to be a qualification. If I was to guess, if you think you're worthy, then you're probably not. <laughs> if you if you have that humble nature, that's that's what God's looking for, right? So, uh, well, I I think you have a good point there. I think that's pretty accurate. You know, looking back, I can remember before I was called the first time as a priest, thinking as a younger person, hey, maybe I'll be called someday, because my dad was called in 79, a year after we moved to Missouri from Wisconsin, and I thought that was pretty cool. You know, but when I was actually called, it didn't feel so cool then. It felt like a huge weight of responsibility, the things Mm. that... Yeah. you know, would be on your shoulders and that you would be needing to take care of, you know. And I, I think probably other brothers, if they've expressed that feeling, probably just feeling the the weight and the responsibilities, you know, because, you know, you're a father. You're responsible for your wife and your kids. You know, and then when you add a the calling to the ministry on top of that, if you have charge of a, a local or anything, you know, it's it's a lot extra. Yeah. Yeah, I I know I can relate to that in that uh I remember one time having a, this is going to sound funny. Uh I had a dream and I I think in my dream Darth Vader came into my room and was going to whack me with his lightsaber. And I laughed at it in my dream. I wasn't the least bit worried. I knew Oh, what I've been watching too many Star Wars episodes. It's like something's wrong. But in the same dream, it continued, and he walked into my children's room, and he was going to whack them with a lightsaber, and I was melting. I was just, I was just falling apart. And yeah. that responsibility and that that love for your kids when they're in danger, when that when you feel that burden, it all flips. Every little. Thing that seems inconsequential all becomes so much more of a burden and a responsibility. Um, I, I can understand that when you now have this this responsibility. I can't understand. I think I can understand it, 
that yeah. now you have so much more to care for and you've been entrusted with. Do you think it was a, a great dis, uh, difference between being a priest or an elder? The, the big difference that I see is there's a few things that I can do now as an elder that I could not do as a priest, like laying out of the hands for reception of the Holy Ghost, uh, administering or blessing babies, a couple of those kind of things. And I'm glad that you asked that because that was one of the things when I was called to be an elder in 2016, then the next year Marlene got sick mm. and times that I was able to administer to her before she passed and then, you know, other things that happened that year. And we had lost our elder that we'd had for several years, had left our church, you know, in 2015 so it was good that we had a constant elder because other than the visiting elders, we didn't have an elder in the local. You know, so that was kind of, you know, I was able to fill that spot there and take care of things at a different level that we didn't have that availability until I was called for that. So you, uh, if I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it. It's almost uh, as if that ability was more of a comfort to you to be able to have that tool, but have have that uh, permission, if you will. I don't know how to. I'm thinking like a, a an administrator for some software. Now you can yeah. do this because <laughs> you've been granted this uh, sk- not skill set, but permission set for your, uh, you know, your your um, user ID. I don't know how to say that, but yeah. you've now well, been given this and it kind of allowed you to serve in a way that you weren't allowed to before when your people, when your congregation needed it. Exactly. All right. Are you ready for the next question? I am ready for the next question. <laughs> how long or how much do you prepare for a typical sermon and how many sermons have you preached? Oh, you got out of order on me. Well, you could do the number first. I like the number just because I'm a stats guy. Okay. Well, here we go. i got to find my spot here. Okay. My answer is a lot. (laughs) About 10 years ago, I started typing all my sermons on my computer. And I looked on my computer the other day, and over the couple of computers that I have, I have about 200 on my computer. And the 20 years prior to that, some of the times I was in charge and we didn't have an elder, and sometimes we did, you know, so that's 20 years, that's 240 months. And I'm going to say I averaged at least one to two sermons a month. So I'm somewhere between four and 500 at least. That's a lot of, uh, that's a wealth of knowledge on your computer there. (laughs) It was pretty good. And then I I still have all the handwritten ones in a file in my file cabinet because I still believe in paper. Yeah. And that's probably seven or eight inches thick altogether. My goodness. That's a lot of research. That's a lot of time. I just wish I could remember it all. (laughs) Yeah. A little more in a bit. And so, so what was the other, the uh, other how much question? do you prepare for a typical sermon? How much time is invested? Well, I would say typically a day or two. Sometimes I may think about it for a week, or if I know about it farther ahead, I will think about it longer. But probably one of my downfalls is I'm a great procrastinator. 
and putting things off till the last minute. And maybe I work better under pressure, but I'm not good at preparing things way far in advance generally. But usually it's like a Saturday or if I get some ideas during week. It, if I have a subject in mind that I'm going to talk about, then I just need to find some scriptural references to back all that up. And that may not take as long as if I don't have an idea and I'm just reading some different things to see what jumps off the page kind of to get the idea started. Right. You know, so sometimes it may be shorter and sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it might be a day or two, but oftentimes it's Saturday most of the day or Saturday afternoon until I go to bed. Sometimes it might be midnight, one o'clock in the morning. But, you know, when I work for the 911 center, half the time I work night shift. Mm. So I'm being up all night anyways. You know, and one of the things that I have not been blessed with that I know some of the ministry seem to have been is having a photographic memory where you can just pull scriptures out of your head and preach off the cuff. You know, I can tell stories all day long, you know, and I could get some some ideas, things that the Lord did, you know, the general ideas, but to quote scripture, my memory just won't do it. You know, so I have to uh, take time to look everything up. And one of the things that really helps me with that, um, back in 2012, at the scripture theme camp, Donnie Case gave us all a, a memo book to uh, write in. Yeah. And the the sermon, the, the the theme that year was John 21. No, John, well, we'll get to it in the scriptures, but it was basically the one, if you love me, keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. He gave us a book, and we had an assignment to write some things in it. And what I started doing at that point was I started taking notes of almost every sermon that I listened to. I would say probably 99% of the sermons that I listened to, I have my book, and I, I write things down. I try to get all of the scriptures, and if there's time, I'll use some refer- I'll write the references down. I may make some kind of, of a short paraphrased comment about it, because I think that I have some of that adult ADHD because I have difficulty sometimes concentrating when I'm studying or when I'm listening, you know, kind of like right now. Did you see that squirrel that just ran across the room? Uh, sorry, <laughs> I, d- I didn't. <laughs> but I, yeah. I know what you're talking about. My kids see that squirrel all the time. I know, and i got a, a dog that every time he sees a, a hair move, he thinks it's a squirrel and he's got to chase it. <laughs> but as I'm trying to take notes, it really helps me concentrate on what's being said, because if I just sit and try to listen to a sermon, my mind wanders and it's all over the place, and the next day I won't remember a thing that was in it. So it really helps me, because if I'm listening and writing it down, if there's a verse that stands out or speaks to me personally, I'll put an asterisk next to it, and then I flip through my book when I'm looking for ideas, and I'll go back and I'll find some of these scriptures that jumped off the page to me, and put them together in my own sermon Mm -hmm. so I can use those for inspiration. And since we're doing so much stuff online this year, my books are are filling quite quickly. 
I looked on my shelf earlier, and I'm on my sixth notebook since 2012. You know, but with all the online stuff, on a on a typical Sunday, I can listen to at least five different sermons. My Sundays have changed this year too. I've yeah. I uh, I regularly go and catch up on the sermons from the other locals, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe not all of them, but I, but I'll check them out. And Sundays kind of are do do church at my local, come home and do lunch with the family, and then put on a sermon. And then yep. when that sermon's done, I'll spend some time. The, the part of it is the temptation is because I like football. And, and that temptation has gone away if I've had something else to digest. Uh, right. Some contest, uh, sermons online and, and seeing my friends and, and, and pe- people I loved and their services, it helps. And so I keep focused Sunday right. more, more this year than I have uh, in a lot of times past. And so... I really appreciate having all these resources now mm-hmm. and it's changed my Sunday for sure. Yeah. Well, I noticed earlier you mentioned star Wars, you know, in that dream. And I was noticing, I was looking this afternoon and I was looking at some of the, the readings that you've been doing in the book of Mormon. It looks like you stopped back in May on that part that you were doing, but I noticed <laughs> heading, yeah. the heading on one of them had star Wars in the heading for one of the sections in Mosiah, I think it was. I I try to tell tell it the way I would relate it to somebody of things uh-huh. I so it's the commentary is probably a lot less uh well it's more Daniel Malone than you would you would expect. You get a lot of my influence in there. And so so I'm a big Star Wars fan. If you saw my basement you'd you'd see a lot of Star Wars stuff. But <laughs> I've also found that I think I can relay, I can, uh, I'll put it this way. I saw a study one time from one of our ministry back in Phoenix and it affected me because they used, um, Han Solo to make a point and one oh. of their sermons are like, you can't do that. You can't do that. That's not illegal or something. <laughs> but I remember the story of that ex, uh, that, uh, illustration so much more vivid than without it. And so I kind of take something I like and, and have tried to teach with that and use that medium. Well, that's one of the things that I like about, you know, preaching the scriptures and some of the scriptures, which we're not to that just yet, but some of them lend themselves so well to analogies that we can relate to in our own lives, whether it's technology you know, they may have had different technology, you know, 2,000 years ago, but they had similar temptations to what we have now, just maybe different ways to access it, you know, and when we can relate things to people where they're at in their life and make something connect for them, I think it's much more effective, don't you? I am, I am affected by it, so it works on me, so I turn around and when I try to Good. teach that way for my studies. Gonna just for my own wonderment, ask if you had ran into any of my sermons that I've done for the different locals this year. I saw, I, I saw one from New York. Okay, that was just two weeks ago. So that's no, well, I, I didn't see the one from two weeks ago. I think you were in New York earlier this year. <laughs> oh, I saw the one that I had all the pictures. The re, I, did I think that's what I saw. Yeah, yeah, that one was 
that one was kind of emotional because it had pictures and there are people that are gone now, you know, mm-hmm. like my mom and or my dad and Marlene and other people that, you know, we don't have with us anymore. But I enjoyed doing that because I could talk about all the different people and how reunions relate to, to what we're about as a people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's next? The next question is, what do your scriptures look like? Do you use highlighters and underline and circle or post-it notes? And All of the above. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I think I know the answer to this. <laughs> All of the above, huh? Well, I'll describe them a little bit. You know, both my Bible and my Book of Mormon, you know, you've probably determined already that I like to laugh and I like to be a little funny. Uh, one time I was preaching a sermon at the temple lot, which I've only had the pleasure of doing a couple of times. And I made a couple of humorous points. And I thought it was so funny because one of the sisters said to me afterwards, she says, I didn't know you were funny. (laughs) But basically, both of my Bible and Book of Mormon have black covers, so they look the same. One's bigger. Um, My Book of Mormon is a lot more marked up than my Bible is because I've had it for a much longer time. You know, it's the the leather-bound edition, the 1990 edition, mm-hmm. and I've probably read it through more times than I have the Bible because I find the Book of Mormon easier to digest in some places, especially compared to, like, the Old Testament. Yeah. But we've been into the Old Testament. You know, that's one of the things with COVID. Um, Janine and I have taken to, we've read all the way through the Book of Mormon this year, and we've read through the New Testament, and now we're working our way. We're starting in Genesis this past week. So we're trying to get through all of it, and we're just taking time to, you know, read and discuss, uh, use some of the commentaries in my Bible, you know, because I've got a study Bible, and it has some pretty good information. Some of it you have to uh, take with a grain of salt. But, you know, the Book of Mormon's way marked up. It's got... I think two or three different varieties of highlighter colors because I just grab whatever's handy in my pencil cup. Yeah. <laughs> and, and notes written in there because when I'm reading it, if I have a thought come to my mind, if I don't write it down right then, it's gone. Yep. I can be sitting here on my desk doing something and think, well, I need to research that. And if I don't grab a piece of paper and write it down, three minutes later, I can't think what was it I was going to look up. I you think know, so. I think Stephen Kimball has a, a podcast on that. You you got to write it down. If God gives you something, you have to write it down, no matter if it's the middle of the night or anything. I did that one time. I, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was having, I had had a couple of dreams, and we were actually at a motel in Minneapolis on our way to Minnesota, or up to Bemidji, and I had to write down some things because I knew I was going to use them in a sermon at some point. You know, but, you know, my Bible, it's near, not nearly as marked up. One of the things that I keep in my Book of Mormon, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but in Brother Donnie McIndoo's book, the, the Book of Mormon Companion, they yeah. made a set of papers that go with that. They're like on onion skin. Yep, yep, I, I've got them. I've got them in my Book of Mormon, and, and I love those, because as I'm going through, if, if we're in a scripture, the, that's where that's at. I add that in and say, you know, this is another thing to, to validate all this. 
more often no. than not, whenever someone is um, doing a sermon, I happen to be following along with my Book of Mormon, I get mm-hmm. sidetracked by those <laughs> and I forget what the sermon was about. Cause Oh, here's one of those. And Oh yeah, I remember this one, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm there's that squirrel again. And so, yeah, <laughs> so I stop, yeah. stop reading the sermon or listening to the sermon and start reading these onion skins. Uh, but they're, well, they're excellent resources for uh, support for the book of Mormon for sure. Yeah. Well, what I've really enjoyed, you know, I had heard about study Bibles before and some people like them, some people don't. But I bought one probably four or five years ago. And I really enjoy it because it has a lot of information in it. I'm not a history scholar. And there's a lot of things in there when they talk about historical and political context of the times that the scriptures were written. It gives me a, a better mental picture of what was going on, what our you know, the apostles at that time or the prophets, what they were dealing with, because I didn't know a lot of that kind of history. You know, and they also, a lot of them put in their commentary. And, you know, one of the things I kind of watch for in mine, it's a, a lot of the commentators, because they use several different ones throughout the Bible, and most of them have a, a real strong Baptist leaning to them. Yeah. So as I'm reading things, I just have to kind of discount some of their thoughts sometimes because it doesn't go along with our beliefs. But the historical, uh, those contextual things are really helpful to me. Right, right. If there's a commentator who is post-1830 uh-huh. who who would never have had access to the Book of Mormon, or, or let me phrase that, who could have had access to the Book of Mormon— Mm-hmm. And they and they don't re- use that resource. To me, I kind of d- I discredit a little bit what what they're going. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the guys I do like is Matthew Henry. If he was alive today, I think he'd be in the Church of Christ. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> that, it's real interesting because we participate on Tuesday nights on the the, the Skype study with the Michigan group, and we hear a lot of different commentaries there. And Brother Dennis points out, you know, that some of these people, you know, they did not know about the Book of Mormon when, because a lot of the commentaries he likes are pre-1830. Yeah. You know, and he says they didn't, they had no idea that Israel would become a nation again. So they weren't even looking for it. Yeah, we have history that we can use that they don't. So that we are at a, uh, so some of their commentary they just don't know to look for. Yeah. You know, one other plug I wanted to make, one of the things that I get a lot of use out of is the AVA website, because we have really good tools on there for the searchable Bible and Book of Mormon. Yes. There's an online version and the offline version, and I use both of them. I like the online version a little better because you can do longer searches with multiple words and Mm -hmm. get good results. But if I'm away from the Internet and want to use the offline version, it's great. I can cut and paste really easy from both of them. And it's really good for doing a sermon or doing a study when you're having, you've got that verse in mind, you know a couple of the words and you can't find it. If you plug it in one of those, you're probably going to find it. Or you can even use them just for general reading if you don't want to hold a five-pound book in your lap. Yeah, yeah. We've heard that one before. Have you seen the app, the new app we've got? 
out? Well, I'm an Android user. It's out. We have it for Android now. Do you? Yes. Oh, I'm excited. I'll have to go. Is it on the on there? I. It should be in the Google Play. Okay. I will. What What's the title of it? I, I better write it down. Uh, you're gonna You're gonna catch me now. Let me see. This is <laughs> This is great for the podcast. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm trying to find my apps. What is it called? It's just the same. Uh, you know, I really try whenever I have an opportunity to encourage people to take advantage of all the streaming that we have and the, the storehouse of all the old sermons. I listened to part of one of a few months back from 1964. We can go back that far, and that that was amazing. I was five years old then. So it's called Church of Church of Christ Scripture app for Android. It's for Android. Great! I will be hunting that down later this evening. <laughs> yeah. No, so so that one. I, but I use the online um, when I'm grabbing verses and I'm building my study. I'm always cutting and pasting out of the, out of there all the time. Well, you know, I learned something here a while back because I bought a new computer back in January, and I'm, I'm glad I did because it's been a, a blessing with all that we're doing online because it's much better than the one I had, which was ancient. But I'm just now learning that I can cut and paste more than one thing at a time on my clipboard. Right. Because you know, I get in here sometimes, and I'd be back and forth and back and forth, you know, 15 or 20 times if, if I had just a couple of verses here and a couple there. And I finally figured out how to make it work that I can put two or three things on there and then paste them all at once. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a slow learner at times. It it doesn't matter. It still gets on there any way, any way it works. That's it. So are you ready to share some of your scriptures that you've, you've searched? <laughs> <laughs> I am. I actually searched some of them today and a few of them. I had to go back through my notebook where I took notes or I should say taken notes, and find some of those asterisks. And, you know, they helped me remember, yeah, this is one that is important. I want to share this because it's a good verse, and I like it. And I have, you said maybe 10, and I, I think I have about 100, but I'm not going to read them all because I just figured each section, you know, of a verse was, you know, counted as one. You know, but my all-time favorite, I'm going to give you first. Okay. And this is, it's Jeremiah twenty nine eleven through 13, or you, sometimes you can add 14, but I didn't type that in here today. But I do want to read this one and all of it to you. But I want to give you kind of the heads up of where this is coming from, because I had to go back and reread this the other day, and reread the whole chapter of Jeremiah 29. This is after the Babylonians have come in and captured most of the people in Jerusalem, and this letter, or this the scripture that I'm sharing, is part of what Jeremiah wrote to the people that had been taken captive and been taken to Babylon from Jerusalem. And he wrote this to give them to give them hope, to let them know. And I would suggest that people read the whole thing because I'm just taking a little part, slightly out of context here. But this verse. It's used in a ton of places. And after I read it to you, I'm going to kind of tell you the story why it became or how it became important for us. But he says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And this is, he's speaking for the Lord here. 
saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then ye shall call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I know that right now a lot of people are struggling with this pandemic and all the things that are going on. And this really, even though this is a couple thousand years ago that this was written, I think it applies to us today as much as it did to the people there. I think even in some ways that we could consider ourselves in captivity to a lot of evil around us, you know, and I had to learn that captivity is not necessarily being a prisoner in a jail. You can be captivity to a sin or to a lifestyle or to an unhealthy habit, you know, a bad diet or whatever can be a form of captivity. And I wanted to say on this particular verse, the way this came up to us, probably back in 2009 or so, after I had retired from work on disability and we had bought a little camper. And when we bought the camper, we kind of had asked the Lord if it was okay if we did that. And if it was okay, he'd help us to find a really good deal on one. And we did. We found an exceptional deal. And our promise to him was that when we had time in the summer, we would try to get around to different reunions. And that when we were traveling, we wanted to be available for him to use. But on this particular trip, we had been up to Minnesota. We were visiting Amanda and the grandkids. And after that, we were on our way to the Colorado reunion. And I was on the schedule to preach. And I didn't have, you know, I'm procrastinating, right? I didn't have my mind made up. I didn't have a topic in mind. And we we had developed or started to have it there. It was about the beginning. We'd go to the library and get several Christian books on CDs and listen to them in the vehicle. Uh, it helps keep me awake. Uh, it would keep Janine conscious and talking to me instead of sleeping <laughs> on the other side. And we had this one author that we were listening to, and we're listening along. And this is the first verse that we heard her use in this book. And she was using, you know, the part of, I have, you know, a plan. You know, I have plans for you where it says, you know, thoughts of peace and not evil you know, to give you that expected end. And my mind immediately went, well, that expected end is salvation. You know, he wants us to be peaceful, to not be worried as much about the evil, and to be thinking about salvation and, you know, that eternal life, not just this physical life that we currently live in. And so as we listen to that, and we've listened to several books of hers by now, she uses that scripture in almost every book that we've listened to, we've probably listened to about 20 of hers. And every time we hear it, somebody uses it in a sermon or we hear it, you know, somewhere else, we just kind of look at each other and smile. Yep, that's fun. And I've used it in several sermons myself and in conversations with people, you know, especially when somebody needs a, a little lift. You ready for another? No, I like that one. I like the, I like the was it and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart that yes. that is the convicting uh to, for me 
And I was just talking recently about uh, your heart and and what what um, I think we were talking about grace and how God comes in and changes your heart, and that's the the mm-hmm. real key. Have you heard uh, Brother Hedrick's sermon about grace that he's done recently? Yeah, I've I've heard about a study, and I've heard about it from other people who've heard the study, but I haven't had a chance to see it. It's actually he did it. He did it as a sermon, also, and but basically, the the premise was that if you've heard of grace being described as unmerited favor. You know, we've heard that, or most have over the years, but Bob went back and was looking up things about the definition of grace, and he came across a place that described it as the divine influence upon the heart. And if so, every time when we're reading the scriptures and we hear that word grace, now we're in that mindset that we replace it with the divine influence of the heart, and it fits so perfectly you know when the lord gives you grace he's given you not only you know he's given you that divine influence that's gonna if you listen to it it's gonna keep you on the path mm-hmm. yeah you know, I've, that I've, definition it, that definition is shaping me uh it just it blew me away and it's it's still shaping yes. me yeah exactly it, it did us too so my next one is John four, chapter 14, verses 13 to 18 and 26 to 27. And I don't know if you want me to take time to read all these or just kind of uh, paraphrase a little bit. Uh, it, it It's up to you. Okay, well, I'll read some of the ones that aren't real long. I've got one that is really long, and I'm just going to tell you what chapters it is. Right. I'll paraphrase that one. Yeah. But on this one, 13 through 18 says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And that goes back, you know, to 2012. And I haven't forgot that verse. That's one I can remember. In verse 16, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. You know, and I love to use that one at a, a baptism or for the laying on of hands. And 17, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be within you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And then I want to skip over to verse 26 and 27. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And I want you to think about that for just a minute, whoever might be listening to this later. In order for something to be brought to your remembrance, you have to have read or heard it. You can't remember something you haven't learned or heard. And then the the 27th verse, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. 
not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And right now, that verse, it even applies to me because I have health issues, you know, and I worry about this virus. You know, we've got our churches closed here in Springfield because several people would uh, be in pretty bad shape probably if they got it and might not even survive, so we don't want to take any chances. You know, but even these things, you know, they speak to us in our day. You know, I don't think there's probably anything that you can find in the Bible that you couldn't apply or the Book of Mormon to our daily lives now. And then in John 21, I want to read verses 3 through 6. And this is interesting because this past Sunday, I listened to two different sermons. One was Brother Benny Case in the morning preaching for New York. And in the evening, Brother McCann preached for Phoenix. And they both used John 21 as part of their sermon. I know what you're going to say. The the part I remember is, I go a-fishing. Well, it's part of that. I didn't use that. But I'm going to use three through six, and I am going to make a comment on that, because I think you might have had the same thought, Uh because it, it jumped right out of the water at me. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. And I wanted to to make an analogy there, and this was at least how it was connecting for me. You may have a different thought. But do we depend on the Lord's direction? You know, do we share our testimonies and our efforts where he directs us, they will be fruitful? You know, if we're making a decision about something, do we ask him, say, well, which way do I go? You know, and are we patient to wait? You know, they were out there fishing and been fishing all night and hadn't caught any fish, but he told them, you know, we'll throw it on the right side. You know, so I was thinking, well, there's an analogy there. You know, are we putting our efforts in the on the right side? Is that kind of where you were thinking, or did you have uh, a different thought? No, I, I no, I don't have a really deep thought on that. <laughs> I just like <laughs> the way it says, "I go a fishing," and it's very yeah. shallow, but but it, it's comforting. I like that he's a fisherman. What are you going to do? Is I'm I go a fishing. <laughs> but well, you know, and the, the neat thing about all of Christ's teaching. And I kind of touched on that a little bit, you know, as far as we have different technologies now than they did then. And But he did everything that he taught them was based on they were an agriculture and harvesting-based society. The whole world was at that time, pretty much. So everything that he spoke to them, he spoke, even the parables were in things that if you were thinking you could understand them because it was at their level. You know, it was everything they were experienced with, he put it for them to understand. Yeah. Yeah, he makes it plain and simple. And then the Bible gets translated and we lose all this, the the, uh, plain and precious parts, and then the Book of Mormon helps us out with that. It certainly does. Well, then my next verse, this is probably maybe the only one that I just used one verse. 
But this is James 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall not be or and it shall be given him. And I wanted to make a point there because upbraideth is a really old word, and some people may not understand what what he's saying there. And so my thought to add in there was God will not mock us for asking a question about what we don't know or understand. You know, have you ever been in that situation when you ask somebody a question, they looked at you like you were an idiot for asking? You never. Know, the Lord, never you happened know. to me. No, nope. never. <laughs> of course. Of course it's yeah. happened. <laughs> uh, and I learned a long time ago, my dad told me that the only dumb question was one that you're not willing to ask because we learn by asking questions. You know, so I think that really stuck out to me when I had to think about that verse a little bit and well, what does upbraideth mean? Well, it's like mocking or making fun of somebody because they didn't understand something. You know, if somebody, if we're talking to somebody and they don't understand what the scripture said, it's our job not to make them feel bad because they don't understand, but to help them understand. Because if they understand, then they're going to want to know more and they're going to ask questions. At least that's my thought on that. I like that. I don't think I've ever dove into that, that definition of a braideth like that. So I, I thank you. I, I now have a better understanding of that verse. I've hear it all the time, but I don't know that I made that connection to a braideth and to what that means. That's good. Okay, next. Now, this one, I'm not going to read these. And a lot of people may know what they say. Uh, it's Romans. And I think everybody likes different parts of Romans. And I like a lot of Romans because I really like Paul. And I like the way he describes things because I can relate to a lot of what he says. But in chapter 7 and 8, I would suggest that you read both chapters, um, there's some parts that you may not relate to and some parts that may be really close to home, may pinch your toes a little bit. But in there, he's relating to the difficulties that we struggle with as sinners and whether we're serving our flesh or our spirit. You know, there's that part where he talks about where he struggles with, he knows the right thing to do in his mind but in his flesh, he still does the wrong thing. You know, it's kind of like I would relate it to in our day and time, we know different temptations, and sometimes we know we shouldn't, but we do them anyways. You know, and then we feel bad, or maybe we feel awful. And I think the, that could, at times, could become a mental health issue for people when they get to situations where they're self loathing because, you know, they're really frustrated when they don't have good control of their own behaviors, perhaps, you know, and that's not what the Lord wants us to feel. He wants us to learn how to control ourselves. So because when you're doing the right things, you feel better about yourself, you know, and he encourages us 
to make that choice and to work for it as much as we can, you know, to have the Spirit guide us. And he reminds us towards the end of chapter 8, I think that's the last verse, uh, part of it, and, you know, man can't separate us from the love of the Lord. You know, and I think that's just so much good information there, I can't describe it all, we'd be here for uh, two or three sermons. You know, and then to go along with that, I wanted to kind of jump over in second. Well, hold on, chapter seven and eight are very powerful. Um, they are. They, I'm, and I had just happened to be browsing through it while you're talking, and there's yep. a number of them that just, oh yeah, I like that one. Oh, oh, that's in here too, and and some of these are exactly what we I've been talking about or or needed to hear recently, and now now I found them. So the that just never amazes me, ceases to amaze me. Let me, I'm saying that wrong. I am amazed at how often this happens. I'm looking mm-hmm. for an answer and it comes in scripture. And this time I'm not the one looking it up. You're the one looking it up and telling me to find it here. So, so thank you for that again. Well, and, and I'm sure you've heard it before, but I find, and I've heard others say it when they're preaching, probably most of my sermons are as much for me as anybody, you know, because just because somebody is called doesn't make us perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle with things or have difficulties. And I, I think that's really why I can relate so well to Paul, because he had a lot of difficulties. And starting out before he was called, he was a horrible man. I mean, if you read back in in Acts, you know, I love Acts too. I didn't put any of those in there. But his conversion is just so powerful, the kind of man he was, the kind of man he became, you know, and that change that takes place there, all the people that were involved in that, it's just such a compelling story. You know, but in Second Corinthians, in that 12th chapter, you know, he's talking about having a, a, a physical problem of some kind, and there's a whole lot of guesses out there about what that problem was, but it's really not even that important. But it helps to keep him humble. Yeah. And I can really relate to that. Because I'm just going to read those three verses, in, starting at verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, or another word might be to tempt me and bother me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I added there, you know, from my point, it's not always easy to glory in our tribulations. You know, and... We had a, a situation some time back where we had a flat tire on one of our vehicles, and we had just heard a sermon about glorying in our in our tribulations, and so we had to <laughs> had to figure out a, a way. How could I make that flat tire a glorification to the Lord? Well, you know, there could be several ways because it could have prevented us. We might have been late somewhere on purpose because we weren't supposed to be there at a certain time. You know, I've had other situations where, you know, something delayed us for a few minutes, and then I get 
a ways down the road and there's an accident that just happened that had we been there three or four minutes sooner, we might have been in the middle of it. You I know, have so the same I, I have the same mentality the and, and I, t- I explain it like uh, golf. Wherever you hit your ball, that's where you're at and you can't do anything about it now. But if you mm-hmm. are about to hit your ball for your next shot and you're still angry about where you're at, then you're not going to do a very good shot. So when you address the ball, you just say, this is not where I want it to go, but this is where I'm at. So this is exactly where I want to be. And then you just, you just clear all the bad, you know, the bad vibes and you relax and you'll hit your next shot better. But if you're constantly uh, uptight about where you're at, you're never going to have a good next shot. So, so yeah, if you have a flat tire and you're upset about your flat tire, you're not going to make the next shot better. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a great analogy because I would even take that one step further in that I don't think any golfer would ever go stand there at that ball, wherever it is, and hit it back to the tee. <laughs> but often in our behavior, we do that. Yeah. We get to a point... Maybe we're doing better. We're we're two thirds of the way to a bogey, and then we go back to the the tee and start feeding on the junk that we were doing before. You I know, like that. I'm going to remember that. Nobody hits it back to the tee box. <laughs> uh, next, I wanted to talk about a little bit Third uh, Nephi chapter five, and I'm not going to read any of this because everybody knows uh, in chapter five is after the crucifixion catastrophe. It's when Christ shows himself to the Nephites, and he let each of them touch him and feel him and feel the nail prints, where he was speared in the side. They got to feel that personal testimony of his sacrifice. And the examples that he used are such good visual aids. You know, I can... I like to use visual examples when I'm doing a sermon. One example I've used several times as a prop is how sin can get into everything. As you take a a glass of water or a little jar with a lid on it and you put one drop of food coloring in there and agitate it just a little bit and the whole thing's infected with that color. And you can't get it out. So it's really better to never put it in there. If you want to have nice, clean water, don't put anything in it. You know, I think that if we could instruct our children that way and young people and people when they come into the church, you know, it's kind of like that song, Don't Step There, you know, 377 in the Red Book. There's just so many things we'd be better off if we never saw or heard you know, because it's kind of like some people, they make a joke sometimes. They saw something, it's like, oh, I can't unsee that now. Mm-hmm. Well, that can be pretty true in a lot of things. You know, but I love those examples like, you know, don't put your candle under a bushel. Well, you know, you, the candle is referring to the light of Christ in your life. Are you shining? You know, if somebody walks down the street and they see you, do they see anything different than anybody else on the street? You know, is your countenance? Do they, you know, can they look at you? Brother Oldham in a sermon a few weeks ago was making the saying, he said, you know, having to wear a mask all the time, it's like people can't tell I'm smiling. He said, sometimes I find myself going in a store somewhere and he said, I'll look at people, hey, I'm smiling behind here. 
you know, and I, I kind of feel that way because, you know, I'm a smiler. You know, I'll smile at strangers. I talk to strangers. You know, Janine's probably laughing in the kitchen when I say that. Yeah, so I'm just the opposite. I've got a, this, my rested face just looks like I'm sad or mad. People just come up to me as, what's wrong? It's like nothing. I just look ugly. I can't do anything about it. I just, uh, so, uh, and I, I'm not a smile. I do not smile. Like uh, my wife has a beautiful face and countenance and she always looks gorgeous in pictures. And then I try to smile and I just look like I'm sneering. So I just give up on it. I'll try to make more jokes. <laughs> That's my contribution. Yeah. You know, and, and then there's the baptism instructions that are in there. And he talks to us about forgiveness and that we should forgive if we want to be forgiven. And it's, you can't read through the Sermon on the Mount or the fifth chapter and pick just a couple of the verses. You have to read it all, you know. And that, it's really anytime Christ is talking, you got to read all of it. You got to understand the whole thing. And then I want to go to Moroni chapter eight. And oh, here's another one. It's just one verse. I just want to read verse 29. And this has a lot in it. And that's one of the things, you know, sometimes the scriptures in the Book of Mormon are a little longer than they are, you know, per verse. Yeah. But this one says, and the first fruits of repentance is baptism, and baptism cometh by faith unto the fulfilling the commandments. And the fulfilling the commandments bringeth remission of sins, and the remission of sins bringeth meekness and lowliness of heart, and because of meekness and lowliness of heart cometh the visitation of the Holy Ghost, which comforter filleth with hope and perfect love, which love endureth by diligence unto prayer until the end shall come, when all the saints shall dwell with God. And that harkens back to the beginning where we were talking a little bit about unworthiness and humility. You know, that's something that the Lord wants us to be humble, not to be puffed up thinking we're better than anybody else. That that scripture just runs the whole, the beginning to end, doesn't it? Just in one verse. It does. I mean, if, if that was all you could tell somebody, that would get them started. I like Moroni chapter 8 a lot. I like the little one, I like the little uh, children are alive in Christ part too. I like there's a lot of good lessons on baptism there. Oh, there sure is. And I just I don't know. I want to go to Go ahead. I want to go to Enos. Enos is just a, a short little chapter, you know, and some of these maybe we don't pay a lot of attention to them because some of them are only a, a page or two long. But really this is another one of those that Enos is in a way the way I relate to Enos, he kind of makes me think about Paul a little bit and his struggles. Because Enos says in the first eight verses here, Behold, it came to pass that I, Enos, knowing my father, that he was a just man. For he taught me in his language and also in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And blessed be the name of my God for it. And I, I think here this is a, a plug for parents when you still have kids. Teach them that. You know, we hear that thing about, you know, teach them the right way and they will not go from it, or at least they'll know what to come back to. Well, here's Enos as the perfect example of that, because he goes on in verse 3, 
And he says, I will tell you of the wrestle which I had before God, before that I received a remission of my sins. Behold, I went to hunt beasts in the forest, and the words which I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints, and the words of my father sunk deep into my heart, and my soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my Maker, and I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication for mine own soul. All the day long did I cry unto him, yea, and when the night came, I did still raise my voice high, that it reached to the heavens. And there came a voice unto me, saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. And I, Enos, knew that God could not lie, wherefore my guilt was swept away. And to me, that is so powerful you know that Enos didn't understand it but to be told directly by the Lord your sins are forgiven you you know you can quit your self-loathing now you can quit hating yourself you can quit beating yourself up I love you I've taken them away you know what more could we ask for sometimes than to have that feeling of our guilt taken away. And I think I'm almost done. I got one more here. You ready for one more? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sure you know this one too because you did it as part of your book. This is Mosiah. And you know, I love the Book of Mormon, but I really love King Benjamin. I think he would be the, the coolest guy to know, because if you want to talk about the example of a leader who's humble, I mean, here you have a king, they fought wars, you know, leading up to to Mosiah. They had all these wars, and they finally have peace, and he's an, an old man now. And he brings the people together to tell them, all these different things. And I've got two different places in Mosiah that I'm going to talk about. The first, in the first chapter, the, the part that I love reading starts at verse 93, and I'm not going to read it to us because it's too long because it goes through 130. You could stop at 105, but it's King Benjamin's testimony about the angel that came to him and told him the prophecy about Jesus' birth and his life. I mean, that's another great story to share with people. If they don't know that story, that's a really good place that they can learn it from also, because it's just, it's perfect the way he tells it in, in my book. You know, I really enjoy that part of it. And then I wanted to go to Mosiah, the second chapter, and... Mosiah 2 is a very powerful, there is so much stuff in there. I really had trouble winnowing it down, but there's two parts here that really, they speak to me on a, a physical and an emotional level. And the first two verses I want to read out of chapter 2 are 44 and 45. And 44 says, And see that all these things are done in wisdom, and order 
for it is not requisite that a man should run faster than what he hath strength. Uh, if you're not familiar with the word requisite, it's like required. You know, if you've been in high school, you had certain courses that were a requisite that you had to take them to get your diploma. Or in college, you know, you can't take a, a 300 series course if you haven't taken the 100 and 200 that lead up to it. But in the scriptures before verse 44, he's just laid out a whole list of things that you should be doing or that are good for you. And then he comes in with this and says, but see that you do these things in wisdom and order because it's not required that you should do it faster than what you have strength. You know, and there's a couple of different ways I look at that. If you're trying to do something too hard or too fast, maybe you'll do an incomplete job or injure yourself doing it. Or the other thing is if you're putting all your efforts into one thing, then are you able to take care of all the other responsibilities you have in your life? Because the, the Lord doesn't want us to put so much effort into one part of our ministry that we would neglect our wife or our children or other people that are important to us that may not be part of our flock or our work. You know, there's just, I see so much more in this verse, you know, in that little part right there, you know, about don't do more than what you can do well, I think is what it's kind of saying. At least that's how it speaks to me. And then 45 goes along with that and says, and again, it is expedient or necessary or good that he should be diligent that thereby he might win the prize therefore all things must be done in order you know so there has to be some kind of a plan you know i'm sure most people have heard the thing that guys don't read instructions <laughs> yeah you know, I, I learned an important lesson when I was probably 12 or 13 years old. I was really into building model cars. And I grew up in a salvage yard, so I knew quite a bit about cars. And I didn't think I needed instructions how to put a model together. So I got into this one. I got about halfway done. And I came to a part where, uh-oh, there was a, a an assembly that needed to be created that I couldn't create because I didn't follow the steps that led up to it. So I had to break a couple of pieces in a way that I could get that in there and then try to glue it back together and kind of look right. You know, so we have, there's a, a sequence, a, a way that things have to be done sometimes in order for them to work. You know, and I think that's part of learning and understanding the scripture because we're taught that we have to build on a foundation. You know, we can't understand some of the more difficult things to understand if we don't understand the things that came first or the things that lead up to that. You know, it's kind of like when we're teaching our children, you wouldn't add or ask a three-year-old to do multiplication, you know, but you might be able to put four blocks on the floor and say, give me two or three of those, and they can do that, you know, if they've learned 
some basic numbers, you know, but they haven't learned the higher things yet. You know, and then I've got uh, just a couple more, and I'll be done with my scripture part. Okay. And I'm going to go to verse 48 through 50, because I think this is important. Because sometimes people have a concept, perhaps, of the only thing you have to keep track of as far as things that you should or should not do are the Ten Commandments or... You know, the greatest commandment, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself, that kind of thing. But I like the way King Benjamin is expounding here, and he says, and finally, in verse 48, I cannot tell you all the things whereby ye may commit sin. For there are divers ways and means, even so many, that I cannot number them. You know, if we would look in our law books, and I don't know if you've ever seen a, a set of the the books of the laws of the state of Missouri. It takes about seven or eight feet of shelf space to hold <laughs> one Missouri st- statutes because there's about 35 or 40 books and each one is probably two inches thick with the tiniest little print in there. I tried to read one one time and I didn't know there were so many laws about so many different things, you know, to where you things that you could do to get in trouble in Missouri and that you would never even know it. Uh, But verse 49 says, But this much I can tell you, that if ye do not watch yourselves, and your thoughts, and your words, and your deeds, and observe to keep the commandments of God, and continue in the faith of what ye have heard concerning the coming of our Lord, even unto the ends of your lives, ye must perish. And I want to go back just a little bit here where he's talking about watching yourselves and your thoughts and your words and your deeds. I don't know if everybody's like me. I I hope they're not. But, you know, two of those I can do really good. I've learned to watch my words, and I'm pretty good about doing my deeds, but sometimes I have difficulty with my thoughts. You know, being able to concentrate on things and concentrating on the right things, you know, things that would please the Lord. And so that's one of the things that I have to to consider and to, to work with. And then the last verse, and then I'll be done with my scripture part here, is verse 50, and it says, And now, O man, remember and perish not. So what do you think, Daniel? I like... Did we have an interview? No, no, yeah, it was a good interview. Um, I enjoyed it. <laughs> you hit two of the, the best verses there. Um, all, all the things that you can do that commit sin, you know, just it's easier to not do. It's easier just to watch your thoughts and your deeds. And, and, and as hard as that is, than it is to try to outline all of the ways you can mm-hmm. make a mistake. And then forty five, I, I I like all things done in order, and it's and you have to you shouldn't run faster than you have strength. I like both of those verses too, and and these are things that apply to everybody, everybody in all stages wherever you're at. This applies mm-hmm. to you. And what, what you didn't you said another one about your heart again, which fit with what the theme I was talking about recently. 
And uh, boy, it's it's just like I said before. The the verses I need to hear are coming from from sources which uh, uh, were not were not expected. And and so I I like your verses in Romans. There was a verse, and I didn't point it out, but there's I was just talking to somebody last night, and I was explaining to him my that I don't have uh, a faith. Right, I, I do all this stuff, and it's not out of faith that I have such great faith in God, but I have such an, uh, and a hope in God. And I said, I know all the verses say it's the other way around that faith, that hope comes after your faith. And it's, it's always faith, hope and charity. Right. But Paul didn't describe it that way. He described it very clear kind of where I'm coming from is that I just have this hope and that's what drives me. And I'm just, and I'm, I'm not kidding. It was just last night, uh, uh, less than 24 hours ago that I was talking about that subject and you brought up the verse that describes it very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how, how he does things like that for us and how he creates opportunities, you know, and we have to be watchful when there's an, when there's an opportunity, you know, when he opens the right place, are we going to go fishing? Yeah. <laughs> and that one was from Mike uh, Bavartz, one of the first uh, podcasts we did. He was talking about when they went fishing, but he was saying, come and, come and dine, I think, is the verse. Mm. And, and Christ, he did not need to eat. No. But he was doing that for them. And that was a way they got, they got together. He understands us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think I need to wrap this up. I hear my kids coming home from Grandma's house, so it's about to get noisy. Well, Daniel, th- Daniel, thanks for doing this. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much, I sir. Thank you. That was Martin. Good evening. Okay, that was Martin Addy. What do you know? For my yoke is easy and my birth. Easy and my birth.